0: Hey, i tell you what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Joshua. We're going to be in chapters 5 and 6. Joshua 5 and 6. And there is a Bible app event for this message. I just checked it. It's actually there and it actually works. That can be helpful to you if you'd like to uh, look at it, <clears throat> if you'd like to look at it. So the title of the sermon is Preparing for the Next Thing, and um, I, I always look for a PowerPoint background that will work to kind of speak of being prepared, and I, I found this pickup truck in snow, and that guy's got chains on there, and it looks like they're brand new, there's a tag on them. That guy is prepared, and in my dreams, that's who I am. I am that guy. In my dreams, if you search for pictures, in a picture search, you find and you look for preparedness, being prepared, that's the kind of thing you see, and that's the kind of person I like to think I am, but you see another kind of picture too, and I'm afraid that the second kind of picture is really the kind of person I am. <laughs> I'm the guy that empties the shelves at the store uh, of toilet paper, right? That one, yeah, okay, preparedness, right? That's what we're talking about today. Are you prepared for the next thing? And I don't have any specific thing in mind or any specific person in mind, not myself or not you. I, I'll tell you how I kind of got to this um, in, in a little bit, how I kind of thought of this theme. I think it comes from chapter 5 of Joshua. But let me ask you that question again. Are you prepared for the next thing? There's a phrase I quote from my 8th grade science teacher, he, and the quote goes like this, everything changes, the only thing that doesn't change is change itself. And he's talking about a caterpillar changing into a butterfly and things like that. But as I heard about that, I heard him say that, it kind of stuck with me. I remember my little eighth grade brain is going like, that's the smartest teacher I ever heard to think that up. And he was kind of smart in as much as he was really paraphrasing someone much older than him, a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus, who said, the only thing that is constant is change, change, change. Life is filled with changes. Changes Coming to a theater near you, for sure. Coming to your life, for sure. Big transitions. Small transitions. And the question for you is, how do you prepare for the next thing in life? Really? How do you? Some people might say, well, I just kind of feel my way. Just whatever, you know. I can remember one time we're sitting down with a group of people about how their church needed to transition and how how it could change and be better. And there was one gentleman there, and he said, I don't plan anything. I don't make any plans for the future. And he just kind of takes it as it comes. Okay, you you can do that. I think a lot of people just kind of feel their way. Some people just let it happen to them. The future just happens and they just kind of, they're kind of like maybe, when you were a little kid, did you make a little wooden boat and put it in a stream and run down beside it? You know, that's kind of how they are headed through life. Some people fly by the seat of their pants. You know, that's, my wife says that I do that and I think I do it quite well, right? In the early chapters of Joshua, and that's where you are, chapters five and six, the people of Israel are facing the next thing. It's a big thing for them. It's entering the promised land. And in chapter six they march around the walls of Jericho every day, once a day, six days straight, blowing trumpets. Now when you think blowing trumpets, hold off on being impressed there for a minute. Because the trumpets that they blew were not they're, they're not the ones they got at spots music. They're not it's not a brass band going around there. It's a ram's horn. Have you ever heard, the, is it the shofar? Have you ever heard that thing? It sounds like a children's horn. It's like one step above a kazoo. Don't mean to be disrespectful, but let's be real. So all these guys are going to do is walk around there blowing these ram's horns. The people in Jericho, they're sitting tight. On the seventh day, they're going to walk around there, not one time, but seven times blowing horns. And at the end of it, they're going to shout, a loud shout, and... The walls are going to come down. Now, I read that chapter over and over and over again. I researched that chapter again and again, chapter 6, and I felt like that doesn't have a lot of transferable concepts for me personally. I'm not blowing a horn. I'm not walking around a city. I'm too dense to really get a spiritual application out of that. Maybe I should broaden my reading. And so I went back and read chapter 5, and wow, I saw spiritual concepts that apply to you and to me. And the reason they apply to you and to me is because everything changes. The only thing that doesn't change is change itself. And chapter 5 talks about how to prepare for the next thing. Now, before we look into that, I'm going to do what I always do, almost always do, on these Bible story ones. I'm going to kind of give you some historical context. These people are the people of God. They're the children of Israel, whose name was Jacob, and Jacob is a grandson of Abraham to whom the promise was given. These are the chosen people. They've been chosen to show the world what God is like, to speak of his holiness and his grace, his love and his justice, his mercy, his nature is what they are to proclaim. And they have been chosen to bring the Messiah, to bring Jesus, who will rescue humankind. He will rescue us from ourselves. Remember, months ago, maybe even years ago, when we looked at it's a Bible story about Abram, when he received the Abrahamic covenant, the last line of that covenant was, and through you, all people of the earth will be blessed. And we understand that that is through the Messiah, Jesus who really is Abram's seed and atones on Mount Calvary for the sins of humankind. So that's where we are. That's who these people are. Forty years before chapter 5, 40 years before this moment, they arrived at the promised land, but they were afraid. They sent some spies in, check out the land. Spies came out and said, those are big people down there. It looks like the Pittsburgh Steelers down there. Or the Cincinnati Bengals. You're welcome. I am cheering for you, buddy. I'm going to pray that God doesn't punish you for that arrogance you showed earlier. <laughs> Love you, man. Yeah. So 40 years earlier, they're standing at the threshold of the Promised Land at a place called Kadesh Barnea, and God says, "Go take the land." The spies say, "I don't think we can do it. Those guys are really big. We look like grasshoppers next to those guys." And they ran away, run away, run away, and that's exactly what they did because they were afraid. More specifically. They refused to trust God for the next thing. They didn't trust Him. So here we are, a generation later, and under Joshua, these people were p- preparing to possess the land. They have been <laughs> nomadically traveling the desert, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And that previous generation, the people who refused to trust God at Kadesh Barnea, they're gone. They've died. And now this new generation is ready to follow Joshua into the promised land. And almost everyone knows they're going to possess the land. That's the next thing. They're going to get it. You and I know because we read the story. We know the biblical history. But the nations around them even know this because they have seen and heard of what God had done for Israel in the past. Imagine, if you will, being a resident of Jericho and and realizing But the people whose God split the Red Sea so they could pass through on dry land and then closed it up on the Egyptian army, those people have just come across the Jordan River in your backyard in similar fashion and they're camped in their tents all around your city. (laughs) That would be sobering, wouldn't it? The people of Jericho don't even have it in their heart to come out. They're holed up in their city. When you read chapter 6, you read of how God took the, God took the city. You ever hear that song? Brace yourself, I'm gonna sing. You ever hear this song? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, 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 and the walls came a tumbling down. Remember that song? You thought you knew it till I sung it, but now you're not sure, right? Hmm. That song's wrong. Did you know that? God fought that battle. Walking around a building, blowing on a ram's horn, and shouting, is not fighting. God fought that battle. And in the end, they had the property. So that's kind of the context of of what we have there. What I really want to focus on is chapter 5, and I want to talk about preparation for the next thing. Because God leads these people in advance of going to, to the city. He leads them in something that prepares them for the next thing. And I have just four things that he has them do to be prepared. The first one is this. It has to do with belonging. Choose to belong to God. I ask you to open your Bibles to Joshua 5. You're thinking, are we ever going to read that? Yep, right now. I'm going to read nine verses, starting at verse 1 in Joshua 5. If you'd like, you can follow along silently or on the Bible app, or you can just listen. Now, when all the Amorite kings of the west of the Jordan... Let me start over. Reading, I find it very difficult. Here we go. Take two. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they crossed over, their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gebiath Haraloth. Now, this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. And all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Eden had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised to their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they healed. The Lord said, then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Circumcision. (laughs) That's not a real comfortable topic for a church service, is it? But if you feel like you're uncomfortable, think about these men. Look at verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives. Huh. That's all I need to hear. Flint knives. Huh. Verse eight. After the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah. Not pleasant. Why would God instruct them to do that? I mean, the scripture seems to tell us why it says this is why he did so, and and the reason is because they weren't circumcised. Yeah, but why? Why bother to do that? Why would he tell them to do that? And one of the reasons, and hear it, one of the reasons is that for the people of Israel, circumcision was not just an act of obedience, it was a sign of belonging. It was a sign of belonging. Hmm. One scholar said this, He said, they have passed from a condition of disgrace and they bear once again in themselves the marks of their covenantal standing before God. They have transitioned from men and women who were without faith, from a people who would not trust God, from cowardly people who when God says, go take the land, they said, 'Ah, we're going to run away. They have transitioned from that to being men and women of the promise, men and women of the covenant, a people who belong to God and they know they belong to God and they're willing to demonstrate it. Bible passages like Romans chapter 2, verse 29 affirm this where it says, no, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by a written code such as such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. It's a sign of belonging, that I belong to Him, that He is mine. God instructed this because He wanted to give the people of Israel a reminder of this covenant that He had made with them. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And He wanted them to remember That they were his people, and he wanted them to be certain that he was their God. Hmm. As you're preparing for the next thing, be good to ask yourself, whose am I? Who do I belong to? And choose to affirm your allegiance to God. Okay, you prepare for the next thing by choosing to belong to God. Here's the second way I see in this scripture that you prefer prepare for the next thing. And that's by remembering God's faithfulness in the past. Do you ever worry about things? What kind of stupid question is that, right? Do you ever worry about things? We do. We worry about health. We worry about finances. We worry about vacation time. We worry about travel. We worry about the economy. We worry about politics. We worry about our kids, our grandkids. We worry about everything, don't we? No, there is one thing, probably more, but one thing I'm going to mention that I guarantee you, you have never worried about. You have never worried that the sun will not come up tomorrow morning. None of us have worried about that. If you have, if last night you lay down and said, man, I'm so worried, I can't even sleep. The sun might not come up tomorrow. I need to talk to you personally and make a referral if you have that, right? Why? Why haven't you worried that the sun might not come up tomorrow? Because the sun has never failed to come up. It always does that. What God is saying to his people is, you don't need to worry because I have never failed. I am always with you. I am always faithful to you. And he communicates that to them by instructing them to celebrate Passover. Look at the very next verse, verse 10. It says, On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land. By the way, that's the land flowing with milk and honey. They ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. But before they did that, They celebrated Passover. Now, Passover, as I'm sure you remember, is the meal that Israelite had the privilege of celebrating annually to remember God's faithfulness in delivering them from slavery in Egypt. A group of slaves, a nation of slaves, were bound in Egypt. The most powerful nation in the world held them in slavery and they walked out. I mean, they just walked out. How did that happen? God's faithfulness, and they came to the Red Sea, and God parted it, and they walked through on dry ground, and that superpowers army, the entire army, the water collapsed upon them while they were in the bottom of the Red Sea, and they were destroyed, wow, how did that happen, God, God. Passover remembers all of those things, how God brought the plagues on Egypt because of the hardness of heart that was there and how he spared the firstborn of the, of the Israelites, how, how he cared for them and delivered them with such power and such gentleness. And what God is saying is, in order to prepare for the next thing, I want you to remember the last thing. I want you to remember what I did in the past. The sun came up yesterday yesterday, It comes up tomorrow. I was faithful yesterday. I am faithful. You're preparing for the next thing? Remember God's faithfulness. Third, as you prepare for the next thing, you need to make a choice. And that choice is to trust him. And this is exactly where the previous generation failed. They didn't trust. They stood at Kadesh Barnea at the entrance to the promised land. And they said, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, uh-uh, don't want to do that. I'm going to go that way. I don't want scary to go that way. I'm going to go the other way. But when the people of this chapter had affirmed their belonging to Christ and had celebrated his faithfulness at Passover, something happened. It's in verse 12. Look at it. The manna, pause. What is the manna? Do you know what the Hebrew word manna means? What is it? (laughs) That's literally what it means. What's this stuff? Manna is that which God provided for this people for the 40 years plus that they had been traveling around as nomads. Every morning when you opened your tent and looked out, there was fresh food on the ground for you to eat. It was a miracle provided by God. So it says in verse 12, the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate the produce of Canaan, the produce of the land flowing in milk and honey. Hmm. manna was probably good. It was miraculously supplied by God, but I've got to think you're kind of tired of it. But wait a minute. If it's not showing up, then what? Then what? Choose to trust God. I did this to my children, both of them. I told them, I'm taking those training wheels off of that bicycle. One of my children, when I said that, said, have at it, let's do it. I've been waiting for you to do this. The other child said, what are you out of your mind? <laughs> but both of my children did well and they were okay because they chose to trust and they moved forward. When you're moving to the next thing, you're going to have to choose to trust God, that he will move you in the right direction. And let me pause here and say, it is God who is, is moving you. He is the one you're trusting. Many voices in our world, I was talking with a gentleman in the hallway about this earlier. Many voices in our world tell us, hey, you should do this, or you should do that, or you should do this other thing. And sometimes we just, we know we have the opportunity, but is that what God wants me to do? Ask him, ask him. And when he speaks to you, not me speaking to you, not the crowd speaking to you, when God speaks to you about the next thing, trust him, trust him. Now, the fourth thing is in regard to the strange conclusion of chapter 5. And, and, and I see that God is really instructing them to worship, or at least Joshua to worship, to enthrone God. Worship. How would you define it? Someone once said, uh, worship he'd heard meant to lick the hand like a dog licks the hand. I guess so. That's not a bad picture anyway. Maybe if we want to be a little more technical, though, we should look at some scholars named uh, Clendenin and Pierce who wrote a book. Listen to the title of this book. Who thinks I'm going to write a book with this title? An Old Testament Theology of Worship. Who thinks they're going to write that book? Clendenin and Pierce. They decided to write that just a few years ago. And when they define worship, you can narrow it down to seven, seven words. Listen to what they say. True worship is the enthronement of God. Huh, that's pretty cool. It's putting God in his proper place, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. And that's why the posture of worship almost always has a sense of submission within it. You know, whether it's in a church service and you're raising your hands to God, those hands are raised to God in surrender and in an acknowledgement that I utterly depend on you for everything, God. Worship. Enthroning God in all I do. I can still feel the grass on the mall in Washington, DC, from about 25 years ago, when a whole lot of men went down there. Bob, did you go with us on that? I can remember Bob laying down on my face on the grass. Worshiping God. What a neat time that was. But God doesn't want to just be enthroned when I'm raising my hand because Drew's got a good song and the worship team's leading it. And he doesn't want to be enthroned just when Promise Keepers comes around and I get to lay down on the grass in the mall and worship him with tears. He wants to be enthroned in my in my life and all I do. And when he is, when he is, then I can manage the next thing. Where do you get this worship thing from Joshua 5, Pastor Steve? Well, from one of the stranger accounts in the book. Take a look at the very next verse. Look at verse 13. Now Joshua, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. That would alert you, would it not? <laughs> Joshua went up to him and said, Are you for us or our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua, this isn't just about, I belong to Christ, and he belongs to me. Joshua, this isn't just about... You know, what was the previous one here? This isn't just about remembering that God did the Passover. And Joshua, this isn't just about choosing to trust me. Joshua, this is acknowledging that I am who I am. God Almighty. This is about worship. And when you worship God with your life and enthrone him in all you do, then you become ready for the next thing. So what changes are you facing? The only thing that's constant is change. Everything changes, but change itself. You will face change. Maybe big changes, maybe little tiny changes. The size of the change is not really the issue. It's how will you handle the change. You've watched documentaries of celebrities. Remember VH1 used to have that thing they called them rockumentaries about rock artists back in the day. And... Uh, Often, whether it's sports or film or music, many of those uh, stories end sadly because the artist took a bad turn. He, The athlete walked a dark path. And sometimes the documentary would feature an old friend who knew him when. You know, I knew him when, right? And that old friend would say, you know, fame changed, Johnny. Wealth changed, Johnny. He wasn't the same guy I knew in 12th grade. You might say he wasn't really prepared for the next thing when it came into his life. As you face the next thing, remember who you belong to. You belong to Christ. And remembering that and affirming that will always be a radical choice. (laughs) Because following Jesus is a radical thing. It surely was a radical thing for the guys with the flint knives, right? Yeah. And it's a radical thing for us, because the next thing often, it often presents options that are just downright wrong, evil options. So know who you are. Better, know whose you are. Romans 8, in verse 7, it says words like these, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of God, they don't belong to Christ, but you do. You do. If Christ is in you, even if your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Whatever the next thing brings, remember who you belong to, whose you are. And remember that he is always faithful. We celebrate his faithfulness not in a Passover meal, but we celebrate it in communion, the Lord's Supper. And if he was faithful enough to give his life for you on the cross, he is faithful enough to carry you through whatever is ahead of you. Remember his faithfulness and trust in him because he is trustworthy. You know, when he speaks to the people about entering the land, clear back in Deuteronomy chapter 31, in verse 6 he says, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you, he will never leave you or forsake you. You don't have to be afraid about the next thing. You don't have to be afraid, you can trust God. And you don't have to yield to the pressure from others, from peers, from friends, from 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 the society you're in. You can just trust God to lead you and follow him. And he will lead you. Remember, maybe most importantly, to enthrone him in all you do. Such a strange way chapter five ends. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. End of story. Really? That's where it ends? And you got to know that brilliant scholars and commentators they just don't know what to do with that story ending that way. And that's alright. Because the more deeply you understand God, the more and more you perceive who He is, the more you realize you hardly know what to do with Him either. Because He's God. We're not. And all I knew, all I know to do regarding Him is worship Him. And throne Him in my life. And throne Him in all you do. When God is enthroned, those other things in your life seem to fall into place. Your finances, your vocation, your calling, your marriage, your family, they all just seem to fall into place in a whole new way when God is enthroned because you're ready for the next thing. I want to pray that that would be your experience in the days that are ahead. If you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and we'll pray. So I just want to tell you, I just feel like I presented that in a very heavy way. You know what I mean? I like to think of myself as this pastor. Hey, how's it going, you guys? You know what I mean? And I feel like I came across severely. I'm probably too worried about that personally. Okay? But if I did come across severely, it is because it is severely important that you and I be ready for the next thing. Always, always. And it's good to be ready for the next thing. And when we are ready for the next thing, when we have recognized our belonging to God and and his faithfulness and we can trust him, and when we've enthroned him in our life, then here's what we can do. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good to see you. You understand? It changes everything about how we see the future. Quite honestly, I thought of this this morning. (laughs) You know, I don't think I mentioned it. Carrie Tonelli was at the first service this morning. Her aunt died this week. That's someone else to pray for. And uh, and Carrie brought her, her aunt into her home on Thanksgiving. And she went on to hospice soon after that. And Carrie stayed with her, had her stay in her home until she died in her home. And Carrie said, it was such a blessing. <laughs> who thinks of that as a blessing, right? Somebody who gets it. It was such a blessing to have my aunt there. And I know, Carrie said, I know she had made her peace with God. She was ready for the next thing. And I thought to myself when I was preaching this in the first service, this is really what you do to get ready to be with God, to face death. You remember who you belong to. If you trust Christ as your Savior, you are his. And you remember he's always faithful. You don't have to worry about what's on the other side of the door. There's goodness there. And remember, he's trustworthy. Faithful is he who called you. He'll bring it to pass. And you just enthrone him in all you do. This four points on a PowerPoint is kind of a recipe for living the Christian life. And I'm going to pray that we would be able to do it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your loving grace to us, the way you work in our lives. We're thankful, Father, that as we face the next thing, We don't have to say, oh, there's monsters there. We look like grasshoppers compared to them. Rather, we can say we belong to you, God. You are always faithful. We trust you. We worship you. And we can walk through our lives with the confidence that you walk with us. May this be said of us because of Christ Jesus. Amen.